Hi everyone, welcome back to The Torch. This week we have another interview with Stephanie Sims. Stephanie is a second generation entrepreneur, speaker, and author, as well as the chair of Money Month 2.0. After a decade in investment banking, she successfully rolled the high tech startup roller coaster for another 10 years in Europe, complete with angels, venture capitalists, household name clients, and an exit to a publicly traded company. These days, as the founder of Financeability, she's committed to providing entrepreneurs with the knowledge, tools, and self-awareness they need to find the right funding for them. When she's not working with her clients, she educates and mentors local entrepreneurs at various programs in the Valley, including ASU Venture Devils, Arizona Commerce Authority's Venture Ready Program, and SeedSpot. Welcome, Stephanie. Yay! Welcome. We're so excited to have you here. That's quite the bio, Stephanie. Oh well, thanks, Kimberly. You didn't know about you didn't know all that about me. Um, actually, so one of the first questions we always like to start off with is just where did you grow up? Tell us a little bit about your life. But I never knew the ten years in Europe thing. Oh, you didn't? That's exciting. Yeah. Can mm-hmm. we can we know more about that? Yeah, of okay. course. Well, you know, I'm married to a Frenchman. Oh, I did not. <laughs> we know we. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So um, actually, I was working in investment banking and we opened an office in Europe. And so I got to go there a couple of times. And as we were doing that, I realized I met this guy and he was kind of cool. And I really was digging Europe. And I was, I don't know, 29, 28, 29 at the time. I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. it'd be awesome. Let's hang out here for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a great experience. And then what happened is um, we got so excited that. We stayed in Switzerland for about 10 years. And it was such an experience, um, both good and bad. It's kind of like going to the 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, interesting. Lots of people like each other, and it's a very close-knit community. But, uh, yeah, being a woman that works there is not what I would recommend as an exciting experience. Really? Why <laughs> yeah. is that? Um, because it's really designed for men to work and women to stay at home. I don't know if you knew this, but one of the... Switzerland's broken down into cantons, which are kind of like states. Mm-hmm. And one of their states, they only gave women the vote in like 1974. No, I yes. did not realize that. What? So what state or what city were you living in? So I was living in a place called Neuchâtel, which is about an hour and a half outside of Geneva. Mm-hmm. And Switzerland's like a big crescent roll, right? Mm-hmm. And so the third, one third of the crescent roll speaks French and the other two thirds speak Swiss German. Mm-hmm. So we were like right on the edge of where they start speaking Swiss German. Okay. We're still in the French speaking part, but very close to where it switches over. So, parlez-vous français? Oui. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know this about you. <laughs> yeah, we That's speak French at home, actually. So, my husband speaks French to everybody. I speak English to the kids and French to him. So. That is awesome. That is the dream right there. I love that bilingual. That's how That's how it is in Europe. I mean, like you just said, people speak at least two languages, if not three, four, five. Yeah, you know you know the joke, right? What's somebody who speaks three languages? Trilingual. What's somebody who speaks two languages? Bilingual. What's somebody who speaks one language? American. American. <laughs> so embarrassing, but true. It's a, such a good joke. So you're in Switzerland for 10 years, and um, we'll edit this in a way, too, because I want to know what. why did you leave Switzerland, but also tell it in whichever order you want. Okay. Where were you? Were you born in, in Phoenix? No, so I was born in Texas. Okay. Born and raised in Texas, um, and it's hilarious because I think from the time I was 14, 15, I don't know, I was like, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> this is not for me. Um, and so I traveled a lot. I was lucky. My I'm an only child, and so my parents were awesome in like sending me to summer camps. And mm-hmm. I spent a summer in Boston when I was 17. Promptly lo- lost my Texan accent because people were like, "Say something again. Say y'all." 
Like they'd call me to their table, so I would speak with this heavy Texas accent. So. I was just gonna say you don't have an accent. No, that's deliberate, my friend. It was it was painful. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I kind of always knew I wanted to leave. Um, it took me a little bit to get out. It took me a while to get out of Houston, which is where I was raised, and I went to Dallas, and then from there, DC, and then Paris, London, Brussels, Switzerland. It was a lot of fun, um, and I was I was excited that uh, that I was able to do it kind of before we had kids. Um, and so, so that part was cool. Uh, but yeah, the, we, we did that whole thing. We were in Switzerland for 10 years while we built a company, uh, a high-tech manufacturing company that was pretty much everything that could go wrong did go wrong. So it's a classic startup story. Um, but it's also awesome in the sense that we were able to sell. Okay. Um, Congrats. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, getting out is always good, even if not everybody's happy with the way you get out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was excited about the fact that we were able to move back to the U.S. And so our conclusion was once we finished with that process, we were like, you know what? We need to be somewhere where we don't have to do anything for a year. <laughs> and we want to be somewhere where there is sun. Because I will tell you, Europe is great for lots of things, but there are not a lot of places in Europe where the weather is beautiful. And so when we were looking where we wanted to go, we'd come here to the to the valley multiple times for vacation. And we were like, where does it where is it sunny all the time that we can afford to live if we're not working right away? Right. So Arizona was a logical choice. That's awesome. OK, so that's the story of how Stephanie Sims ended up in Arizona. That is really cool. And that makes me excited. I love knowing people's backstory. Seems I didn't like, know any of that. Seems okay. like like the same reason a lot of people move here. Right. Affordability, sunshine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jake and I didn't really have a choice. We were we birthed were born here. here yeah. so. <laughs> oh my gosh, but two natives in the same room, that's pretty unusual. It is. Yeah, that's what I hear about Phoenix, right? But we've stayed, so that means we like it too. One, one of the um, questions that we like to ask everyone who comes in is if you could meet anyone, living or dead, doesn't, doesn't matter what time period, but if you could meet anyone in history, who would it be and why? Okay, so I don't remember if I actually answered this because I have a couple of answers. <laughs> okay, okay. Maybe it was that I couldn't decide, and that's why I didn't write it. <laughs> so, so one person I would really love to meet is Dolly Parton. Nice. Because, Dolly Parton. Yes, and there's a couple of reasons. Um, one, because I think she is an amazingly smart businesswoman, but she built a business at a time when she was completely under- underestimated. Mm-hmm. And one of the favorite things that I've heard her say is, you know, people think I'm stupid because I'm blonde. Mm-hmm. It's okay with me because I know I'm not stupid. And I also know I'm not blonde. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I've never heard that quote. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, this is a woman I need to meet. Right. Right? Like someone who's got that much self-confidence, who recognizes the way the system works and understands, okay, here's what I've got to do to succeed. And it doesn't change who I am. It doesn't change how I feel about myself. I'm not, you know, making myself silly or ridiculous. I'm just doing what I need to do to move myself forward. And so I'd love to have a conversation with her. Um and now I've forgotten the other person. It'll come back to me. That's okay. That's a good one. She's done. She does amazing um, charitable work as well. Oh yeah, really impressive with books and literacy and, and youth. Um, I just learned about some of that this past year. So that's a that's a great great answer. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. When was it that you found your calling, so to speak? When was it that you like realized that you wanted to do what you're doing? That's a great that's a great question. Um, I would say I didn't find it until I came back to the US mm-hmm. because I was so I was a finance major and I came out of college at the time that Milken had gone to jail. Anyway, it was a horrible time to be in finance, right? Uh, so there was a lot of sort of damn it, I can make it no matter the fact that nobody likes me or you know. There was a lot of kind of proving myself that happened early uh-huh. in my career, but it wasn't so much about 
finding my calling as it was, you know, stand up and take on the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but the way I got into doing what I'm doing now is after we moved back to the U.S., my mom and dad had owned a business since I was in high school. So at this point, they'd had it for almost 25 years. It was a printing franchise, and they were doing great. You know, they had a great team. They had solid clients. They were doing over a million dollars a year in revenue. Mm-hmm. But they were getting frankly, burned out, right? They wanted to come see me and the kids. They were thinking about retiring. And every time they left the business, it would like, and they're like, this isn't possible. How can we have a successful business that nobody's interested in? Mm -hmm. You know, they'd also talk to people who wanted to buy. And as I started talking to them, I'm like, wait a minute, these are super smart people who've built a great business, but they've got no idea of what their business is worth. Mm -hmm. And that's when I said, ah, people can't see their business as an investment. And that's a value that I can provide. And that's really where the, the tagline of finance ability, know your worth, came from. It's about, at two levels, right, knowing the worth of the enterprise that you've created, mm-hmm. but also understanding your worth as an individual and knowing that those two things aren't necessarily tied together. Ooh, that's really interesting. So, so you started finance ability when you moved here to Arizona? I started a few years after we got here. Okay. Um, my daughter was, my youngest daughter was a month old <laughs> when wow. we moved here. And I was kind of like, yeah, I'm not doing anything for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that lasted about three months. And then my <laughs> husband was like, maybe we should buy a house. You should become a real estate agent. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I'll go get my real estate license then. So, anyway. so you have your real estate license? Too? Not anymore. Not anymore. But yeah. Jane of all <laughs> trades right here. <laughs> I don't know about that. More like, more like problem, solution, moving on. <laughs> right. Okay. But yeah, so that's what we spent the first year doing basically is figuring out the housing situation. And we got here at a great time, right? I mean, 2009 was a good time to be mm-hmm. in the market, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but then I was like, yeah, I don't think I want to do real estate. I'm good with that. Smart move. Yeah. So how did t- talk to us a little bit more about financeability and how you got it started. That's an interesting story. So your parents were really the impetus for you starting that business. Yeah. And, and I started looking around and I realized, hey, it's not just when people try to sell their business. It's also when they try to fund their business. And so what I was able to do is connect with some people who were in that process of trying to raise money and, and really help them go through using the numbers to prove the story that they sort of in their guts felt was the story they wanted to tell about their business, but didn't know how to put those two things together. Um, so I worked with um, several different clients. I've worked with people who are in manufacturing businesses. I've worked with people who are totally service-based. I've got some clients who are SaaS. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through that, I really kind of branched out and started meeting people in the ecosystem and realized, oh, my gosh, nobody wants to talk about money. <laughs> nobody. Everybody wants to make it, but nobody wants to bring it up. And I was like, well, okay, maybe I'll talk about the elephant in the room. <laughs> and then, of course, people, uh, Kristen Slice was like, hey, I got a thing you might be interested in. It's called Money Month. Want to help? And I'm like, okay, I have Helium Hand. Let me help you. <laughs> helium Hand. That's Kristen's. Kristen like tells that. me that. She's like, you know, put your hand down now. You've got Helium <laughs> Hand. Just sit on it. You can't volunteer for anything else. <laughs> um, so what's, your, what's your kind of process when you go about, like, helping companies figure out their value? So it's really interesting because um, a lot of times the first step that we have to take is we have to, especially in the case of a founder who's intimately involved in the operations, we have to disconnect their personal value from the value of the business Mm -hmm. because that's one place where particularly when you're looking for funding or you're looking to sell your business, people give you a huge discount if you are the only person who can make that work. And so a lot of it is about recognizing that, hey, I can still be a valuable person and I could be awesome, but I don't have to be involved in every single thing that happens in my business. 
And in fact, my business is worth more if I get other people involved and I teach them how to do the things that I feel like I'm the only one who can do. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it's, that's why I say self-awareness whenever I introduce myself, because sometimes that's where you have to start. Mm-hmm. And then you have to just, you know, like in any business, you have to move things forward as much as you can without making people completely uncomfortable. And once we get past the headache, not the headache, but the, the mindset of, oh my gosh, I'm the only one who can do this, then we can start to get really creative in the ways that the business can grow. You know, well, what if you did bring in somebody who was a commission salesperson? Or what if you did bring in uh, an expert content marketing person who could get you the leads you need and really you stay in your zone of genius, which is talking to the clients and convincing them to work with you? Okay, so it's not only uh, sort of like analysis, it's also kind of like here are the road, here's the roadmap to where you want to be value-wise. Exactly, and yeah. really helping them understand that when they're making those decisions, it's not just about, hey, do I have you know the money in the bank to do this thing? It's more about if I invest in this thing today, what does that do to increase the value of my company? Because a lot of times people, you know, someone comes to them and they're like, oh, you absolutely need this. you got to buy this thing right now. Mm-hmm. And they do it because in the moment they think it's going to solve a problem. But really it's kind of like a Band-Aid. And what they needed was, you know, a better diet or more exercise. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like that term zone of genius. And I'd like for you to talk more about it if you can. Um, I don't know if there's a lot more to say on that. But also, so you work with so many startups. You mentor so many startups through the programs, as Jake mentioned in in your biography and in in the introduction of The Torch today. But what would you say is the number one problem you've encountered with startups? I know there's several, and it's hard to say because it's probably somewhat industry-specific or based on the type of business. But if you could say one or a few of the main problems you encounter when you're working with startups. Yeah, so I do think that one of the challenges we have and, and everybody has it. It's not unique to Phoenix. Um, like Paul was Paul saying when he was here for the Results Junkies tour, that's one of the mm-hmm. things he said. He's like, I know it feels like this is the worst place to have a startup and everybody has it better. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the reality is, you know, we've got 99% of the things we need to be successful. It's getting our head around how we get the 1% that we need. Mm-hmm. Or it's getting our heads around how do I do what I need to do to get that extra 1%. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the things I do see is I see a ton of people who are convinced that if they don't get an investment or if they don't get money, they can't move forward. And what I try to encourage them to do is is to break it down into one small step. Like what's one little experiment that you could run that would validate investing that five, ten, fifteen, fifty thousand dollars in the marketing consultant, the, you know, prototype, whatever it is you think you need that money for. Mm -hmm. Because often people they think money is going to solve their problem and the reality is it's not the money they need it's a plan Mm -hmm. and they need to actually prove to themselves that what they think will happen is possible before they go out and get that funding does Mm -hmm. that make sense yes Mm -hmm. it does yeah actually it kind of touches on another question i had for you which was we talk a lot about shark tank i watch shark tank it's this huge pop culture thing that Uh, college students are geeking out on. It's like this rediscovery. It's kind of like we talked a little bit about vinyls in our first episode. They never went away, but there's like this rebirth or renaissance of vinyls. I feel like somewhat with Shark Tank too. It doesn't help that uh, I think it's, is it CNBC runs Shark Tank 24-7? One of those (laughs) channels has Shark Tank on all the time. But when I was at ASU, students love Shark Tank. It has this appeal from a pop pop culture perspective. You have these celebrities that are investing, and now they bring in the celebrity guests every season, different folks coming in. 
it's such an entertaining show, but it is a show, and there are success stories. But our question for you is, do you think that Shark Tank has somewhat over-glamorized venture capital and has it kind of dumbed down the conversation? Well, I think it's an interesting question. So I I think the one thing we want to be sure we understand in Shark Tank is entertainment, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like 95%, maybe more entertainment and 5% investing. Um, And I think one thing it's done that's been really great for everyone is it's raised the awareness of entrepreneurship and helped people realize that, hey, I don't have to be a tech business. Hey, I don't have to be um, building the next Facebook to get people interested in investing in me. The flip side of that, though, is a lot of people have now convinced themselves that either it's super easy to get money because I'll just go on Track Tank and it'll be great. (laughs) And they don't see, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people who never even get to the stage Mm -hmm. and then all the people who don't get a deal. But I think it's also convinced people that that's the way they should build a business. And I think that that necessarily doesn't necessarily serve entrepreneurs because a lot of times the most important way to raise money for your business is to get a freaking client. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like if you cannot find someone to pay you for what you do, you don't have a business. And money from somebody else is never designed to prove that you have a business. It's designed to pour gas into an, an engine that you've built that's going to make your business grow faster. And so I think, you know, it's it's a it's a mixed bag. It's done really a great job of raising awareness, mm-hmm. but I think it's given some people some really um, false ideas about what investment money is for. Mm-hmm. And just because I'm a stickler for definitions, I don't think anyone on Shark Tank is actually a venture capitalist. I think they're all angel investors because they're investing their own money, not somebody else's money. And I think this is a distinction that not a lot of people get either. Yes. Um, venture capitalists are a business, people. Right. They are not doing this out of the goodness of their right, heart. Right, right, And so when they say, uh, I can't invest in that or I don't invest in that, it's not because they're mean to you. It's just because that's what the people who gave them the money told them to do. That's why sometimes angel investors are an easier place to start because they actually can make a decision on the fly. It's their money. They can choose, hey, okay, usually I invest in this, but today I'll invest in that. But but a lot of people, I think, confuse those two. I did. Yeah. And so it's, so and it's Shark Tank, they are angel investors, even though they have their own companies or firms, but they're the executive, so they can, it's their prerogative. Right. And And I'll have to check. I mean, don't don't call Mark Cuban. Mark, please don't hate me. Mm-hmm. Um, We'd love to have Mark on yeah, the show. Mark, the next time you're the next time you're on the torch, um, <laughs> you can clear this up for for everyone. This is great. I'm learning. But but generally speaking, I think they're investing. They may be investing through a special purpose entity, right? Like mm-hmm. it may not be Mark Cuban writing the check. But my guess is that that's all money that Mark or Lori or any of those people control. Mm-hmm. So it's their personal money that they're choosing to invest. Whereas a venture capitalist, their job is to go out to high net worth individuals or to other companies, um, retirement funds, people like that, and say, we're going to put together a $500 million fund. So you guys all put some money in. We'll tell you what we're going to invest in. And we promise to give you between 20 and 30% return on that money every year. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the other thing you have to understand as an entrepreneur is these people need to make their money back. Exactly. And the other part of that equation that's really complicated is that nine times out of 10, they're wrong. So they invest in 10 companies. Eight of them lose money, close the doors, never go anywhere. One of them probably breaks even. And the last one is where they make all their money. So the fact that you've gotten money from a venture capitalist does not mean you're going to succeed. Mm-hmm. In fact, the chances are you're probably going to be one of the eight that doesn't make it. But again, we've got to get our heads around that. 
and, and saying to ourselves, hey, my goal is not to raise money. My goal is to build a solid business and then find somebody who wants to pour gas into my engine. That's that's where the idea of knowing the value of your company comes in, right? Right. You need to know if if you can make someone else money before they'll... Right. Yeah. Okay, right. good. Well, and that's the other thing is because I think we've talked a lot about pitch contests and, you know, all you got to do is have a good story and with a beautiful brand and a deck. That's, to me, the tip of the glacier, right? What you've got to have is a solid business underneath mm-hmm. that nobody is necessarily digging into and looking at. Mm-hmm. And then you can present a really beautiful picture that shows the 5% that's in your pitch deck. But unfortunately, a lot of people, they start with the pitch deck and they're like, well, I don't understand why people won't fund me. Well, because there's nothing underneath. (laughs) (laughs) You're selling air and nobody (laughs) wants to buy that because they see that that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Yes. Awesome. Jake, you want to talk or ask Stephanie about your new startup idea? Okay. So I'm going to put a scenario out there for you. I've got a new idea for a startup. It's something I really believe in. I'm working really hard to get it off the ground, but I can't find any seed money. Why won't anyone give me money for my business? And how can I, how can I better seek out that money? Okay, so I think that's a great question. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that you're asking before you go and talk to a lot of people and then say, I can't believe these people are such jerks. They won't give me money. Um, so it's good that you're asking. I think what you need to do first, honestly, is convince yourself that there's somebody who wants to buy what you're selling. So make one sale. Okay. Find one person who says, I really need that. And then work with them so that you really understand the value that you provide. Not just like, hey, I sold you this stuff, but also, hey, I'm working with you and I'm understanding your problems and I see what you need next. So that you can understand the opportunity that that client provides for you. Because if you do all that work and it turns out that Maybe it's just a one-time sale. Like, you you know, you put a Band-Aid on their problem, and then they never want to buy anything from you again. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you're not in the right market, or maybe your product or solution is not where it needs to be. So that there's no point, again, pouring gasoline on that, because it's just going to blow up in a big ball, because it's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about um, developing kind of small experiments that you can run that will not only get you some revenue coming in, but that will also convince you that this is something that you can do that people want and that you want to do because that's the other thing I see a lot people fall in love with their idea and then they maybe get some funding to do it and they do it and they're like this sucks I hate this (laughs) I don't want to do this every day Um, and whether that's because maybe they're oops sorry maybe they're in the wrong role you know sometimes it's like well I don't want to be the salesperson Mm -hmm. well someone's got to sell right and if it's not you who's it going to be but sometimes it's also that the idea was great when they thought of it but the actual execution the providing the product or service, they just don't dig it. Mm-hmm. And it's better to know that now than when you've got a venture capitalist calling you up and saying, hey, you promised me you're going to have a thousand clients by the end of the year. Where are they? And then you're like, I don't really know. <laughs> I'm not interested. Right? It's too late then. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff here that I'm kind of like remembering from the business model canvas mm-hmm. that we said, you know, it's, it's all about doing your research and figuring out before you start all this, whether or not there's even an audience or a client base for your idea. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. So it's all about uh, foundations. Wait, right. And it's, and it's also about not being afraid to talk to people. Cause I think that's the other thing I see a lot is people, people are like, well, you know, I can't talk about my idea. I will tell you this right now. Nobody steals ideas. <laughs> Nobody so steals true. ideas. People are paranoid too. I'm not going to tell you the full idea because you are going to turn around, replicate, steal it, and make a million dollars off my idea. That's crazy when you say it out loud. 
Yeah. Well, and on top of that, the reality is if it's that easy, this is what I usually say to people. Look, if it's that easy for somebody else to execute it, why are you standing here in front of me? Go execute on it right now. (laughs) Make the million dollars yourself. Beat me to it. Right. That's so true. So, okay. So a question for our listeners, because we do have folks from a variety of industries. We have people who are hoping to start a business and have not started yet, maybe in the trades and the service industry. Maybe it is a tech concept. Um, But what else? So I've watched Shark Tank. I've read some of these books. I'm teaching myself. I thought that the only thing I could do was seek investment from a VC or an angel investor. Um, I can get a few of my own customers like you recommended I do, but where else do I get the startup capital that I need? What are my other options? Because I thought the only option I had was a VC. That's a great question, and it's a myth. I will tell you that right now. So customers are your first and best source of funding. Mm -hmm. Once you have a pool of customers and you know that you've got, and I hate the word product market fit, but you know that you've got something people want, right, and you know how to sell it, then you can look in a couple of different places. One would be if you've got those customers, look at an association or a group, an organization that serves those same people. So kind of go upstream Mm -hmm. and think about somebody who might be a strategic partner for you. Um, Because a lot of times those people may be looking for the kind of solution that you could provide, right? Mm -hmm. And it's always better. I shouldn't say always, but quite often it's easier to work with an organization that has access to hundreds or thousands of the people who could be your customers than to try to find those people yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, And there might even be not just a marketing partnership in it. There might actually be some sort of uh, financial partnership, right? You know, maybe they want to provide your product or service to all of their members, that's, that's one thing you can think about. Um, there are other opportunities. <clears throat> excuse me. There are other opportunities. We're very lucky here in the Valley to have something called the Arizona Innovation Challenge. So if you're working in manufacturing and you're using advanced materials or you've got some unique processes that you're, that you're using in your business, you can go and apply for it's, for, it's 100, I think, it, I think they've changed it. It's $150,000 grant. Mm-hmm. So totally non-dilutive. Um, obviously have to achieve some milestones. They're not just going to write you a check for $150,000. Reasonable. Reasonable, you know. <laughs> but but essentially, uh, if you've gotten your business off the ground and you're in a position where you need some investment to grow, that's a great opportunity. Uh, I think the deadline, I don't know when this is going to air, but the deadline is September 14th. Um, they run it also in the spring, though. Okay. And so twice a year, they're giving out $1.5 million to 10 different companies to try to help them make that hurdle from, hey, I've got a few clients, but now I really need to grow to the next level. Um, And I think the other thing I would always be thinking about is as you're growing, especially if you're in a business that uses um, equipment or that has a lot of inventory, as soon as you've passed the two-year mark in your business and you've shown a profit, you should start thinking about debt. So talking to your banker, and you don't have to wait until you've passed the two-year mark to Mm -hmm. talk to them, Mm -hmm. but they're going to want you to have been in business for two years to be able to loan to you. But a lot of times if you've got collateral, which is an asset, right, something that they could basically take if you can't pay them back, Mm -hmm. that can be an easy way to get some expansion capital as well. Very interesting. That's a great tip. We get that. We get that question quite a lot, too, is people thinking, I need to run my business plan because I need to go to my banker right now before I've even started the company to get a small business loan. Yeah. And generally speaking, I mean, there are are some very small... um, I think they're called Express. I don't remember exactly the term. There are some very small SBA loans that may be available for that. Mm-hmm. But you have to remember with an SBA loan, it's not the SBA that gives you the money. It's a bank. 
And so you still have to convince the bank that you're a good risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, So instead of kind of counting on getting an SBA loan, think about how many clients you'd have to get to get, say, that Mm $25,000 and focus your time and energy on that. Then once you've got, say, one or two clients, start talking to your banker before you ask them for a loan and just say, hey, I'd like to come in and update you about my business. I want to tell you what's happening and just get your feedback. Worst case, they think you're awesome. And when you come back to talk to them for a loan, they know who you are. Best case, they may know somebody else who could become your client. They may start looking for referrals for you, talk to their other business bankers. Only good can come out of those conversations. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you wait too long and then you get rejected, a lot of times people are like, oh, I can't ever talk to them again. I'm so embarrassed. (laughs) Right? But if you've got that relationship before you make that ask, they can also kind of guide you and say, hey, you know what? Here's what you really need to do before we can get you approved. Mm -hmm. What is Money Month 2.0? Oh, this is an excellent question. I'm so excited. (laughs) So Money Month 2.0 is, as it says, the second version of Money Month, which is um, a local event that's dedicated to helping Valley entrepreneurs and business owners improve their financial confidence and competence through three things. Skills, which is kind of like the education piece, but also real-world application of those skills right in the room with a group of entrepreneurs like yourself, so somebody who's kind of at your same stage of business, so you can really say, okay, I learned this nebulous thing about financial statements, but what the heck does that have to do with me and my business? And then once you've learned it and you've applied it to a real world situation, it's writing your own personal action plan. So I learned something good, I know how it applies to me, what can I do today in my business to move things forward? And so I'm really excited. Obviously, I love this thing. Sorry. You can't, you're not going to be able <laughs> no, to shut me up now. I can see your enthusiasm. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> you're not going to be able to shut me up now. But but this is one of the things that we learned from Money Month 1.0, which happened last September, um, which was really our first attempt at getting people to talk about money, mm-hmm. right? Because we noticed, and it's not just here, but we noticed that it's really hard for people to have those conversations, right? Like, I don't know if I'm charging enough. Should I raise my prices? I don't know if I'm making any money because it feels like there's nothing left in my bank account. How do I figure out where my money went? Those are really basic questions, and I will tell everyone listening, everyone asks them. It's just nobody wants to ask them in public. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) And so what we did is we said, hey, let's have money month, and then everybody can ask them and benefit from that awareness. But really the goal of Money Month 1.0 was to get people to tell us where they were. Right. Mm-hmm. So we had people at all of those events. I think we had over 40 events, right, mm-hmm. Kimberly? Yes. We had over 40 events last year. And we asked everyone who participated in those events to take a survey and to tell us about their financial challenges in their business. Mm-hmm. So we learned a lot of really awesome things. We learned that there are tons of businesses in the Valley that have been around for more than five years, that we've got almost 7% of the respondents in our survey that are making over a million dollars a year in revenue. Which, you know, everybody says, oh, there's no big business in the Phoenix. I call BS on that. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also learned that these business owners are facing challenges because they're having a regular cash flow. Almost half of the people told us that was their biggest challenge. And they don't know who to turn to. Even if they're working with an accountant, they're saying, hey, we need to learn from colleagues and mentors, not from somebody standing in the front of the room telling me what to do. Mm-hmm. So that's really where Money Month 2.0 came from was, hey, let's take what we learned from the survey. Let's create a unique format for people to learn. And then let's measure if we actually have an impact. So every week in September, there's an, a, an event happening at five regions across the valley. 
all the same content. So whether you go in Peoria or in Chandler, you're going to learn the same things, but you're going to get connected with people in your community who are in the same stage as you. So not only do you get to spend some time with them on a Thursday morning, but you can help them support their businesses and they can help you support yours. And you're going to walk out of there knowing exactly what you need to do in a very specific financial area of your business. And I'll tell you a little secret. If you go to all four of the events, you'll actually have a path to capital for your business because we structured the content so that it all builds on itself. Beautiful. You did such a great job, too, this month, I have to say. Stephanie's not going to toot her own horn here, but (laughs) there's a curriculum. You get a binder if you're attending every week. And like she said, it's not just a networking event. It's not like other workshops that you go to where you leave and you might have some ideas. But people are going to leave Money Month this year, Money Month 2.0, with an action plan, how to get to capital. Yeah, exactly. And and the good news is there's instead of it being kind of this overwhelming thing like, oh my gosh, I have so much to do, we help you break it down into something you can do each week. And then what we're actually going to do is we're also going to come back and check in with you in about 60 to 90 days so that we can figure out for the next iteration of Money Month what worked, what didn't, and what resources you actually need to help your business move forward. Because that's the other thing in, as an ecosystem, we've done so much growth in the last five years, but we were really at that point where now we need to get more specific, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that we need a lot more networking events, although those, those can be helpful. We need to really make sure that we understand what resources people need to move forward. Mm-hmm. And so that's where, that's where I'm really excited because I think we're gonna learn a lot about where we could put our collective time and energy to move all businesses forward because ultimately a rising tide raises all ships, right? Love it. Great. I love the accessibility of it. But it yeah. Very user friendly too, yeah. the website. It looks nice. <laughs> Thank Kristen for that. She she's the marketing person. She handles all that stuff. Thanks, Kristen. <laughs> we'll have you on a future podcast. Do you have any words of encouragement or maybe some sage wisdom for anyone listening to this podcast who's maybe thinking about um, starting their own company or maybe they're running a company right now, maybe running it out of their house, they're in the beginning stages, any kind of advice for that kind of person? Yeah, I think I think the most important thing that you can do for yourself and your business is to take it seriously and treat it like a business. Don't be ashamed of the fact that it's a, I'm using air quotes, side hustle, or that you're doing this on the weekends. That has as much value as somebody who's built Facebook, Uber, whatever. So I would say first recognize the value that you're providing and know what you want it to become. Because there's a lot of people I think who feel pressure. Oh my gosh, well, I got to get it out of the garage and I got to make it real. If you're making money and people are paying you for whatever it is you're doing, it's real. Mm -hmm. It's a business. However, it's up to you to decide what you want that to become. Like, do you want that side hustle to become your full-time job so that you can quit whatever it is you're doing? In which case, there's a way that you can approach that that is going to help you grow and achieve that objective. However, it's totally cool if you just want it to be your side hustle. You've just got to make sure that you're making the choices that are going to get you to the destination you want to go to. Make sense? No, that's wonderful advice. Thank you so much for being here, Stephanie. We are so lucky to have you in Phoenix. You're very smart, so talented, and very committed to our community. So we we are really appreciative of your time, and thanks for coming. Oh Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure, and I love hanging out with you guys. And um, I'm excited to see what happens in Phoenix in the next few years. I really think we're uh, on the verge of something great. Thank you, Stephanie. You bet. We want to thank Stephanie Sims once again for being on the show. It was really great of her to take time out of her busy schedule to come down to the Business and Community Center here on our Maricopa County campus and share some of her expertise about business finance. 
Right now is about the time in the show we would talk about any upcoming events we're going to be having here at BBB. And in fact, we have the donation deadline for our Integrity Online Auction coming up on September 21st. All proceeds generated from the auction go towards scholarships for ethical high school students. If you're a business and you'd like to donate products or services to a really good cause, please send an email to the Torch Podcast at bbbcommunity.org and someone from our office will be in touch with you. On a final note, I think one of the most important things about the Torch is that it's an avenue of information meant to help you better your business in any way you can. So, if you have any questions for any of our guests, if you'd like to maybe have them back and discuss a certain topic, or if you are just looking for any other kind of advice, please absolutely reach out and let us know how we can help you. Just send an email to the Torch Podcast at bbbcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening, and if you liked the Torch, please subscribe to us and review us anywhere you listen to podcasts.